Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast. It's a Tuesday, which is the second best day of the week. Of course, Mondays we do roll call. It's always the most fun. But Tuesdays, we're going to make this show just as fun without the roll call today. So we're excited to have you Pewter people join us for another Pewter Report podcast. And we're excited to have a good friend of mine, Nick Geddes, joins us. And Nick is from On3 Sports. Uh, you might know him from J.P. Peterson's podcast, uh, which I'm a frequent guest on. And, and Nick and, uh, and J.P. are on that show. And, and I'm on there as well from time to time. And we've got Nick on our show today. And we're going to talk some Bucks football. The topic for today is how far away are these Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the next Super Bowl? Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. I appreciate you uh, having me on. As you mentioned, I'm with On3 Sports and producing two days a week with JP now, uh, covering all things Bucks, Lightning, Rays, and obviously covering the NFL for On3 and born and raised in Tampa. So I've been following Pewter Report for a very long time and, and your work and so many others that came through. So definitely excited to be here today for the first time. Yeah, we're happy to have you on. And you can follow Nick on X. At Nick Geddes News, if you're listening to our audio podcast, it's Nick, N-I-C-K, Geddes, G-E-D-D-E-S, News, N-E-W-S, Nick Geddes News on X. Um, tell me just briefly about your, what you do it for On3 Sports, and and, and again, you do the, the J.P. Peterson show, you co-host with J.P. and produce that, um, but you, you're a Buccaneer reporter for On3. Yeah, we cover uh, not just the Bucks specifically, but we cover really the entire league, all 32 teams um, on what they call the national news desk. So we look at all the angles from everything up to date with all the news, uh, pop culture, which means we were very heavy on Taylor Swift the other night at the Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. uh, in most of the season. So definitely adding more hats, I guess, to what I do there. Um, and then, like you said, with JP, I've had you know the opportunities to go out to, to training camps and games and things like that here and there. Uh, to get a feel for the team, and very excited to do that, uh, obviously. Yeah, and you're you're also a UCF Knight? Yeah, I'm a UCF graduate, 2021. Uh, I know you have Bailey Adams on here. I think yeah. you graduated maybe a year or two before. Charge on. And you've always told me that UCF was your adopted Florida team. That's right. Which I That's, love to hear. Yeah, and, and now in the Big 12. Sorry, we had to beat you guys in football and in basketball, but that just no, how it goes. No. So welcome to the Big 12 now. Uh, and the big boys. Yeah, with the big boys. So, uh, and we were very happy to see UCF knock off KU too. By the way, which we also did. But uh, exactly, and we took Terra yeah. Texas for you too. 
I started know. a riot almost. <laughs> yes, you did. Horns down. I love it. Um, so we're going to talk some some Buccaneer football today. Obviously, it's what we do on the People Report podcast. And, um, and I want to kind of start off by by getting your your lay of the land here, right? With the Super Bowl, you said you just covered that for On Three Sports. And uh, was it a surprise to you that Patrick Mahomes won his third Super Bowl? And and also, does it seem to you like the Buccaneers win over Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City that it just seems to to get even better as the years go by and this guy stacks up rings like Tom Brady, you know, did back in his day. It certainly ages well, uh, Scott, because, and you mentioned in my surprise, absolutely not. Like, I mean, I was trying to come, we were talking about this on yesterday's show on JP and I'm like, I don't even know what the right word is. I don't know if incredible covers it. I don't know if amazing covers it. All I can simply say is, and, and, you know, the goat conversations are always, and there's Tom Brady right there holding the Lombardi, the GOAT conversations dominate so much of the uh, the conversation around him. Just let it play out is kind of my take on that. Yeah. He might get there one day, but let's, let's let it play out. But he is undoubtedly the best quarterback of this generation, and what he's doing to other great quarterbacks in the league right now is he's making them so secondary. Yeah. Kind of to use a basketball reference like Michael Jordan did to so many greats of the 90s, who we remember true. so differently. Yeah. Kind of what Mahomes is doing right now, but I also love how they changed their identity completely, and they really were, I thought, a defensive first team. Yeah. And then Mahomes just kind of played within the structure of the offense. You had the one bomb down the field. That was really the only big, big play mm-hmm. of the uh, the night for Kansas City's offense. But other than that, he just takes what the defense gives you, all those cliches. And he, he when he got the ball last, it's like, yep, you know exactly what's going to happen. But in the <laughs> second right. part of that, of course, the Bucks. apparently that's the key. You just got to be the Bucks. Yeah. You want to beat this guy in the Super Bowl. Well, and I think the difference, right, when you compare the Super Bowl 55 that Tampa Bay won 31 to 9, and and these Super Bowls that Mahomes has actually won twice against the 49ers now and then one again once against the the Eagles. Um the common denominator for me is the Buccaneers score touchdowns, not field goals. Right. And and I was on with JP earlier today. We were talking about about how, you know, if I'm Kyle Shanahan. And I want to avoid the two press conferences I've had to give over these last two Super Bowl losses. I almost want to go for broke every time and just say, if we're on the 30 going in and it's fourth down, we're not we're not kicking field goals this game. We're just not. Our kicker, unless he's kicking the game-winning kick at the very end, he's kicking extra points, and we're going for it. And I'd rather get blown out and lose by 17 points and look to the media and say, you know what? We came here to win the game. And you mentioned Michael Jordan, and I think you're exactly spot on. Because back in my day, when I watched Michael Jordan live, um, you had to have an almost insurmountable lead going into the fourth quarter. Because there was a thing called the Jordan rules, where if it was close, Jordan's going to, he's either going to kill you with fadeaway jumpers, he's going to shoot three-pointers, or he's going to beat you at the free-throw line. In other words, he's going to get some of those those assists from the reps and, and he was going to go to the free throw line. He was going to get fouled. Right. And he would beat you. So to me, you had, you have to throw haymakers against Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid and the chiefs. You can't sit there and jab with this guy. Cause if it goes to the, to the cards using a boxing term, it's, it's going to go in Mahomes' favor. You've got to knock him out. And I think that's kind of the fatal flaw that the Eagles had. And also, and the Eagles, they, they put up some touchdowns. The Chiefs' yeah. defense was more formidable this year, as you mentioned, than it was the previous year. But 
it just seems to me that that was the formula for the Buccaneers' success. Four touchdowns, one field goal. Yeah, first quarter, first quarter, second quarter was the most telling part of that game was because I thought the 49ers had control of the tempo of that football game. Yeah. They had more of the momentum, uh, but they were kind of killing themselves with penalties and special teams, things like that, but they still had control of that game, and they walked around with a seven-point lead. Yeah. That was it. And yeah. the third quarter was horrendous, really, right. when you think about it. I mean, they just got away from McCaffrey, and they let Sam, or, uh, Kansas City hang around. Yeah. And then the muff punt that happened where Ray Ray, instead of falling on it, he decides to try to go for it. Right. That woke Kansas City's offense up, and that was enough. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so having said that, we've talked about Kansas City's Super Bowls, and they've won two since the loss to uh, Tampa Bay. And, and Tampa Bay's Super Bowl win, which was back in 2020. Boy, we're seeing now the Super Bowl team get whittled right before our eyes, right? And I think that Shaq Barrett's going to be the next one to go. Devin White's not going to get re-signed, so it, we just saw Ryan Jensen retire. So that that number of, of Super Bowl Buccaneers is whittling down. And it seems like, even though it's just a couple of years ago, like almost a lifetime ago, because it's such a different team now. What do you think of, of these two years under Todd Bowles and how they've been able to transition from Bruce Arians to Todd Bowles and from Tom Brady to, to Baker Mayfield? It's certainly been a, a bit of a chaotic ride. I think you probably would agree the last two years for the Buccaneers from Super Bowl aspirations going into last season. And then we saw how that ended up and they go eight and 10, including the playoff loss. Yeah. And at that point, remember how things were so different around that time when Brady retired. It's like Todd Bowles is a lame duck head coach. And yeah. Dave Canales was certainly not choice A, B, C or whatever to be <laughs> offensive coordinator. He was far down that list. And then Baker Mayfield, $4 million. Now, I think we all thought, you know, you were on top of this. We were on top of this as well. They were not going to be a team that won three or four games. It would have taken a catastrophic amount of injuries. Baker would have had to have been Carolina Baker. Yeah. And they were good enough to win the division. It's just the result, the way how they got those results was a little off-putting at times because right. the performances did not match up with the wins. And at the end of the day, you take the wins, you move on. And at four and a seven, they had a great chance to kind of just cave in and completely give up. Yeah. But they go on that six of seven. They believed in Todd Bowles. We went from thinking he was a dead man walking at the end of the year to we saved his job. You win a playoff game, and they put a valiant effort against Detroit, yeah. I thought, in the uh, divisional round. So that's why you kind of look at this Buccaneer team a little different. But I certainly would tell you, summing up the way they went from 2022 to 2023, I think it's better than I think we could have hoped for. Yeah. Like the vibe, the general mood, the general vibe around the team, I think has improved so much right. from what it was in 2022. And think about that. That's when Tom Brady was still here yeah. in a lot of these big pieces. And I think the vibe has improved greatly beyond that last season. And I think that's better than what we could have hoped for. Yeah. And I also think Liam Cohen was was a nice find, right? right. And, and I, just in meeting him, talking to him at his press conference and – just from what I've been told and know about him, I think this this Buccaneer offense, I knew it could improve from 18 points per game with Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady, believe it or not, to, to 20, almost 21 points per game with Dave Canales and Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, I just, and I even said that before the season started, watch Baker Mayfield and Dave Canales score more points than Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady. And that really wasn't a knock on Brady, it was a knock on Leftwich. Yeah. And it ended up being true. I think that with Liam Cohen in this offense conceptually, systematically is going to be very similar, Nick, that 
with his experience calling plays at Kentucky in the SEC for two years, and even for a couple of games in the NFL with the Rams when when Sean McVay had to kind of walk away and take a breather at the end of that 2022 season, I feel like this offense, if Baker Mayfield comes back, if Mike Evans comes back, that it can hit the ground running a little bit easier and faster and better than at the start of the season with Canales and that it can continue to take steps forward. Yeah. And and Liam Cohen's, I think a very interesting hire. I think I I said at the time, I'm like, it doesn't like knock my socks off necessarily. Like it was anything like that, but in terms of keeping the continuity and I've heard so many people that are a lot smarter than me and have played the game and you know, this as well covering it. It's so detrimental when you're a quarterback and you're just and it really the whole entire offense. And it's just new system after new system after new system. And that obviously hurt Baker early in his career. So now here comes Liam Cohen it's, does it, it sounds like if you listen to his introductory press conference, it's going to be pretty similar. Obviously, he, they, got, they have to run the ball better. We know that. Yeah. They can't be, even though they took strides this year, they were still 32nd in the league. So Liam Cohen comes in. What I did like is I dived into a little about him at Kentucky. Um, Kentucky is far from what I would associate with a superpower or an offensive juggernaut. And not that they were that under Liam Cohen, but... Right. They also led the entire SEC in explosive plays 50 yards or more yeah. last year, I think with 12 of them. Um, so I like that from him. Uh, and he's also going to be the most important piece to this operation, I think, because I think in the modern NFL, when you have the defensive head coaches, your offensive coordinator is definitely the most important guy you have on your staff. And it's also the danger of it is because if Liam Cohen comes in and does a great job this year, and even better than what Dave Canales did. We just saw Dave Canales get hired right. after scoring 21 points a game and having like the 23rd ranked offense, I think. Yeah. Liam Cohen does better than that. Well, guess what? Liam Cohen's probably going to be a trendy name in the head coaching cycle. So yeah. it's just going to be like a revolving door uh, with that. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I absolutely think you bring Baker back, you bring up Mike back, you get the band back together. In theory, you'd like to think that they would continue what they built upon last year, specifically at the end of the year when I thought they hit their stride. And they should be even a better offensive team next year. Yeah, and, and if, wouldn't it be funny though if if Todd Bowles loses another offensive coordinator to become a head coach? I mean, that'd be best case scenario because that would mean the Buccaneers had a great season, right. went to the playoffs again, hopefully went further, maybe all the way. You know, who knows? But but it would all of a sudden Todd Bowles would have a coaching tree, right? He would be a kingmaker. You know, yeah. come work for me, and I'm going to get you a head coaching job in a year or two as an offensive coordinator, but there are some perils though, right? For a defensive minded head coach, I think it's easier for offensive minded head coaches to hire defensive coordinators, right? And, and, and be able to just play on that side of the ball with a new face, as opposed to having a defensive minded head coach like Bowles, who is now on his third offensive coordinator in three years. That's not really sustainable over the long term for continuity because no matter how you, you shake it out, uh, the, the the general manager, the head coach, and the quarterback, those are the three positions you have to have you know greatness at to really become a, a Super Bowl caliber team. But a lot of times it's that continuity between the play caller and the quarterback. And a lot of times, and we just saw with Andy Reid again, it's that play caller who's the head coach that has the continuity with the quarterback. So are the Buccaneers for the long term kind of, playing with fire here with Todd Bowles. I mean, he is going to be the head coach. We can't do anything about it. Not that we were calling for his job or anything, but at some point in time, I remember seeing Tony Dungy get fired 
after going through three different offensive coordinators and Mike Shula, Les Steckel, and Clyde Christensen before, you know, not beating the Eagles again and getting fired. Yeah, I mean, you look even if you look at the the non-offensive head coaches who have had longevity as a head coach in the NFL, you're talking Mike Tomlin, you're talking John Harbaugh, you're talking yeah. Pete Carroll, um, and Mike Zimmer, I think, had an eight-year run in, in Minnesota and everything. I mean, and those guys, what they all had in common is they were really like the best of the best at what they do. They had a skill set that you could point to that was like, he is the best at that. Tomlin yeah. being a master motivator, uh, Harbaugh being a special teams ace, and obviously a very good, I would call, general CEO type of head coach of that team yeah. had the respect of everybody. Todd Bull's strength is clearly he's a very good defensive coordinator. And he put his Picasso out there, as I think you had called it, in the Philadelphia game and obviously the Super Bowl yeah. uh, against the Chiefs. So we see that from time to time. Um, but I've also had a feeling before, I think it goes both ways. If you're going to have a defensive coach, you better be sure that he checks off the boxes at so many other things, and I think that's where Todd Bowles falls short a little bit for me, and I think we probably all agree on this, is in between the lines, the in-game management decisions, the usage of the timeouts, a general feel for the game. I yeah. think those are still things that Todd struggles with, and they got a little bit better this year, Yeah, but probably not to the level you need, and at some point, you know, he's seven years into doing this. Yeah. So how much better is it going to get? So. I think all these conversations go so hand in hand that sometimes if you have that offense, then that has enough firepower behind it. You can almost outweigh it a little bit or balance each other out. And that's where Liam Cohen comes in of how important he is to this team. Yeah. And I think too, um, a lot of it is coaching, right? Andy Reid's a damn good coach. Yes. He was a really good coach in Philadelphia. He got better in Kansas city and, and started winning some super bowls rather than losing them. And, and uh, you know, course having a better quarterback i mean donovan McNabb is no slouch but patrick mahomes is patrick mahomes and and so i i agree i think bulls took some strides and some steps but man as great as that defensive game plan was against the eagles uh he still has not figured out jared goff right yeah. and and so in order for this team to be a, a super bowl team um there's a couple of of key pieces standing in the way and maybe some of those pieces are are in the division, a better Falcons team, maybe a better Saints team. But but really, the two big roadblocks, as I see it, are the Lions and the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. He's gotten his team there a couple times now, but not good enough to out-duel and out-fox Andy Reid. Um, and and maybe more, more importantly, Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, who, who really kind of trades wits with. But where does Todd Bowles have to get better to beat Jared Goff and the Lions losing twice in the regular season, or I should say this past season, they're going to be playing them again in the regular season next year. So this is going to be a third opportunity to try to not have Jared Goff complete 76% of his passes for two touchdowns and no interceptions and average about 300 yards. Cause that's really what he's done over these last couple of games. So what has to happen for Todd Bowles and his defense to, to stop Jared Goff in this Lions offense that's giving him problems down. Yeah, it's it's really odd when you think about it. Like, I love Jared Goff. I think he's a very, I think, very underrated quarterback. He's gotten his flowers this year for the way he's played. But of all the quarterbacks, like you mentioned, it's so funny that it's Jared Goff of all people that he yeah. just can't solve. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to a little bit is going to be his personnel. I think if you're going to beat Jared Goff, 
I mean, there was all this like talk going in about how good he is against pressure, against the blitz and all that. But I think at the end of the day, the thing that this Buccaneer team is missing, I think what Todd Bowles' defense is really missing, I think that's why you've seen some of the decline of it from a week-to-week basis, is they just do not have a blue-chip pass rusher that you can count on to A, get the quarterback down, or B, be disruptive for a good chunk of the game. I think when you look at the great teams in the NFL, the good teams in the NFL too, they usually have that guy. Um, the Bucks have some nice pieces, Yaya Diaby being the main one, but he's not there yet. He might be there, yep. and maybe he's the guy that I'm talking about right now. But until then, I think they have to continue to stockpile that position. They need to get somebody that's more dominant because we know as Vita Vea continues to be here and Kalaja Kanta grows, I think you're good, or Kalaja Kansi grows into his role, you're going to get enough pressure up the middle. But I think you got to get it from the edge. So I think part of this is going to come down to personnel, and obviously that's going to involve Jason Light and the entire front office of doing that. But I think that's really the thing they're they're missing. Yeah, I, think I mean, when you go back and, and look, I mean, I think it's killing Todd Bowles to not have that edge rusher that's capable of getting double-digit sacks. Like you said, maybe that's a Giaia Diaby eventually. But go back to that Super Bowl season in 2020. There was only one pro bowler on this Buccaneer team that year. Some guys deserved it and didn't get it, but the one pro bowler was Jason Pierre-Paul, nine and a half sacks. And I think had two interceptions that season. And then another guy, Shaq Barrett, was in his prime still. He had a 19-and-a-half sack season in his first season in Tampa in 2019 and had eight sacks, kind of dipped down a little bit, but, man, came alive in the playoffs. Uh, He and and JPP teamed up to sack Aaron Rodgers five times up in Green Bay. And and then, you know, in the Super Bowl, we, we saw what happened with just the pressure from Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and Sue up front, et cetera, in harassing Mahomes. And I think you're right. It, it, it does have to start in the trenches. And for a defensive-minded head coach like Todd Bowles, he's got to be able to, to rush for and get home. And maybe, yeah, sure, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line, those tackles were injured, and there were some backups in there, and that certainly didn't help. Kansas City's cause and probably aided Tampa Bay's pass rush. Sure. Those were the circumstances. Those were the cards that were dealt and the Chiefs had to play them and the Buccaneers took advantage of a poor hand. But it was having those edge rushers that were capable of wrecking havoc. And I think you're right. They've got to find somebody else other than than Yaya Diaby. And I think that they're probably going to part ways with Shaq this year. So uh, does that help come in the free agency or the draft or both? Uh, you look at the pieces now, right, with with Anthony Nelson back with with Joe Tryon Shoenka coming back. He did get five sacks this season. He's in essentially a contract year. They're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. So um, who's got to step up on this roster? Or is that guy that they're looking for not here yet because he's a free agent addition or he's uh, a first or second-round draft pick? Well, I think they're in a little bit of a tough spot because, you know, everybody's going to tell you that the Bucks have all this cap flexibility now. And as we know, they're going to run through that pretty quickly when they get all their guys back, as we expect them to do. So then the free agency market, you're not going to have the money to go and overspend for Brian Burns. You're probably not going to have the money to set aside to go after even a guy like Bryce Huff, who I think is going to end up being, I mean, from the Jets. He's, I mean, I know he's not a household name, but he is yeah. really, really good. But he's probably going to have, because usually good time pass rushers, they don't make it to free agency. 
So he's probably yeah. going to be right there, 1A, 1B with Burns. So he's going to get a big payday. So I think you're out on those two guys. Uh, I'm not buying any stock to Hassan Reddick whatsoever. Yeah. He's about to be 30 years old. Right. I can see that one going south, and he's getting, what, $15 million already? Yeah. Right. No way. Yeah. There's just no way that's happening. So you look at the roster. Shaq Barrett, we probably don't think is going to be here next year. I do think there's a chance that Shaq might be end up much better this year than he was last year because I think usually when you have the Achilles injury, it's usually the year after that yeah. that you come back, that you have that pop year. But also, he's 31 years old. Yeah, He's 31 years old, and he's carrying a big, a big cap hit. So I don't think you can depend on him. Joe Tryon, you mentioned five sacks, but they're just very, they're too spread out for me. Like yeah. he's just, he's just not disruptive enough, especially for a guy that was drafted in the first round. I think Anthony Nelson's a solid, you know, veteran at this point to have on your roster. You put him in for 20 plays, whatever. Yeah. Spell guys. I think that's kind of his, where he's at right now. Uh, Yaya Diaby, we talked a lot about him already. I don't know how you feel about this. This is where I'm at with Yaya Diaby, and this is where I think the difference is between having a good team and having a Super Bowl contending team. Yeah. I think Yaya Diaby ideally is your number two. Yeah, I not agree. your number one. And I show you, and I, I I looked this up earlier this week of the the difference here, and just a simple a simple stat here when you look at pass rush win rate, which I put That's a lot right. of stock into. Yeah, it's not good. Will Anderson. <laughs> who yeah. was the number three overall pick. That is a blue-chip pass rusher. Pass rush win rate, it's up near 15%. That's good. Yaya Diaby was down near 7 Yep. That's the difference right there. And that's why I don't think at this moment, Yaya Diaby is a guy you can say, that's going to be our number one pass rusher. Yeah, now, I think you're, you're exactly right on that. And, right. and, and when, when you look at, at, the, at, at the sacks, and you know, it's like, um, I remember... Is you know the sacks are important, right? Because because sacks are the reason why people get drafted, right? And that's also the reason why they make Pro Bowls, and that's the reason why they get second contracts. Not so much for pressures, but for sacks, because sacks are the nail in the coffin. It gets you, it gets the quarterback on the ground, right? If a quarterback is sacked on third down, they're punting on fourth down, right? Whereas a pressure, you can get a pressure on a guy and he can still complete a pass for a touchdown. Still counts as a pressure, right? but it's also a touchdown. But as Ron Marinelli once told me, sacks are great, but it's one play, right? right? And so you had out of those seven and a half sacks for Yaya Diaby, he ran the quarterback out of bounds twice. Still counts for negative yardage, but it wasn't like he beat a guy one-on-one -on -one and dropped the quarterback and you know and had a loss. So I'm with you. Uh, Yaya yeah, Diaby, as, as great as that seven and a half sack number looks, it's a little bit of fool's gold because he's got to win more consistently. Yeah, and to the point about the whole pressure thing, look at the Super Bowl two days ago. You know who the most disruptive guy in that game was for Kansas City? It was Chris Jones. Chris Jones, yeah. I don't think Chris Jones had a sack right. in the game, but Chris Jones directly affected two would-be touchdowns. The Debo Samuel play where yep. Purdy had to get rid of it and he overthrew him. Yep. And then the last snap that they took all season where he didn't have a shot because he was left unblocked, but Chris Jones was still in his face. Yep. Directly impacted it. Those aren't sacks. Those are pressures. Um, and then the other thing you asked me about is could they find that in the draft? Well, you know, when you pick 26, listen, I mean, TJ Watt went like 27th, I think, in like 2017. So it's not yep. impossible necessarily to find that guy there, but you're not really banking on it, I guess. Right. And when you look at this draft, there's the big three, I guess, of Dallas Turner, Jared Versch, and, and uh, Leatu Latu. Yep. 
Yeah. Now, he might slip a little bit because of the medical. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to get lucky if he fell to 26. But then after that, you know, there's so much talent in this draft at so many other positions, some positions the Bucks need. Do you want to force an edge pick there at 26, whether it's a Chop Robinson, who wasn't even as productive as Adisa Isaac, the other kid from right. Penn State? Do you want to throw a dart at Darius, Darius Robinson from Missouri, who's rising all of a sudden? Yeah. You know, so I don't know if, I think at the moment, they might be kind of in a little limbo right there. I still think they're definitely going to add to that group, and hopefully one of them hits. Uh, but yes, I think if the Buccaneers are going to get to where they really want to go defensively, they have got to get an elite pass rusher. But that's that's very hard to find. Yeah, it really is. And and so therefore, the Buccaneers might have to turn to some of the the cheaper alternatives. Uh, uh, Josh Capo from Peter Report threw out to Josh Uche from New England as as an option. He was a guy that was maybe going to be a fringe first rounder until he tore his Achilles training yep. for the draft that year and then slid in the draft as a result. Um, it will be interesting to see if Jason Light can can strike, have lightning strike twice, and find another cheap pass rusher like Shaq Barrett on a one-year deal, whether it's an Andrew Van Ginkle, whether it's a Josh Uche, but someone like that that needs an opportunity, that will still be hungry, that that can burst on the scene like Shaq Barrett did in 2019. I think that's probably the best-case scenario because the draft is a bit of a crapshoot. You can pick one high and maybe you miss like Joe Tryon Shoinka. You can pick one in the middle rounds and maybe you're lucky and you hit on a guy like Yaya Diaby, who despite that low pass rush win rate does have some upside. And it just, it took him a lot. He was a late bloomer at Louisville, right? Had nine right. sacks his final season at Louisville, but I think only had maybe four sacks the year prior. So it might be a bit of a slow build with him, but th- that's on one side of the ball. And Jason Light knows that you got to win the trenches on both sides. And you saw that with uh, with Kansas City, not having a holding penalty for the third straight Super Bowl win. Kansas City not had a holding penalty in any of their three Super Bowl wins, which is crazy. Well, well Donnie Smith, I think I think he's perfected the bear hug. And yeah. I, I don't know. He's got some side agreements or something with every officiating crew because <laughs> yeah. I see that bear hug often. And we saw it in Tampa Bay a little bit, but it never gets called. It never gets called. Right. Yeah, and and certainly not when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. It doesn't get called. But at the same time, that offensive line in Tampa, we talked about the defensive line, how dominant that was with with Vita Vea coming back from his injury right at the right time at the end of the season and and Dominican Sue in the middle and JPP and Shaq. That offensive line for Tampa Bay, right, from left to right, Donovan Smith playing his best football ever at the end of the 2020 season. And, and then you had a, a Pro Bowl performance from Ali Marpet in 2020. Didn't get the Pro Bowl, not until the next year in 2021, but he had great tape in 2020. Ryan Jensen, same thing, a Pro Bowl caliber center. Finally got that recognition and due in 2021 along with Marpet. You had Alex Kappa throughout almost the entire season. He was the only Buccaneer offensive line that year, Nick, that didn't give up a sack until he broke his leg uh, in, in the Washington game in the first round. And then Aaron Stinney come in and save the day for a couple of games. Then you had this rookie, might have heard of him, Tristan Works. He's pretty good. Had a Pro Bowl caliber season. So that offensive line allowed the Buccaneers to really run the ball quite well in the postseason uh, against Washington, against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, against New Orleans, and, and provide some balance and some great pass protection from Tom Brady. If you're going to invest 
$30 million or more in Baker Mayfield, you got to protect him. They need some help on the offensive line. Isn't that the next key piece for the Buccaneers to get back to the Super Bowl? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I say this all the time. Like we sometimes football gets very overcomplicated. There's a lot of moving parts, but if you're just not good in the trenches, I mean, there's it usually translates to you not having a lot of success. I yeah. mean, there's great quarterbacks in this league who don't have good O lines and they don't have a lot of success, right? We see that all the time. And I, I look at the Buccaneers this year. I thought the offensive line gelled nicely a little bit down the stretch better obviously in the first half of the season and a lot of that was get a key continued I thought was solid for the most part at right tackle yeah that's a plus I think you have your tackle tandem in place Cody Malk as long as he just gets a little stronger yeah I think we agree he has a great future of being a solid right guard in in the NFL but those two other positions I think they kind of are just right there at you I mean it's hard replacing Ryan Jensen Okay, it just yep. is, and especially the untimely, the timeliness of it was was just the worst case scenario. And Rob Hainsey, I just don't think he's he doesn't have that mauler in him. I just right. don't see it. I think he's a little too undersized. And then left guard, the Matt Filer experiment was, it is what it was, right? I mean, they tried. <laughs> he was big, yeah. and they thought they were going to have all this, and he just he there was a reason why he was bouncing around the league, right? Um, and then. Nick Leverett or Aaron Stinney, Aaron Stinney, rather, I thought later yeah. in the season was starting to to show his level of play. It started to come back down to earth where I thought yeah. you could you were okay with him, but then he started to struggle. So those positions, I think in particular, especially as you relate this to the draft, I think that's what you look for at 26. I saw you yeah. already had your mock out yesterday and Graham Barton, the kid out of Duke, yeah. was uh, who you got you had mocked to the first round. I'm seeing him pop up a lot. I think Trevor Sikama had him in his draft. Yeah, um, a lot of people are starting to go with this. So he kind of reminds me a little bit, you know, at least the similarities to what Peter Peter uh, Skaronsky was at Northwestern, and he went mm-hmm. in the top ten. But he was a left tackle, undersized, small arms, moves inside for Tennessee, had a nice rookie season. Obviously, that's the same thing with with Graham Barton, and he's that kind of guy that fits that profile, a mauler in the run game. And clearly, there's two sides to it: is that Rashad White earlier in the season, I think there was some holes where he was not seeing. I think that right. was a fair criticism. But there was also part of it where the offensive line just kind of gave the offense no shot. So, yes, absolutely. Edge and offensive line in that order, I think, are the two things right now of priority that are going to get them to that next level. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think one other thing that probably would help, and not just in the, the Super Bowl, but like every day, like getting you to like that type of level, that championship level. It's none other than, than Celsius, the official energy drink of Peter Report. That's right. Celsius has got three new flavors that you see here. Actually, there's more than that because I just crushed an orange sickle this morning. But the Celsius Essentials line, it's powered for performance energy. They're bigger cans. There's more caffeine in it, more B vitamins, no sugar. So there's no sugar crash, just like the smaller slim cans that you'll find with, with all of the goodness there. But this line of Celsius is really geared towards the active fitness minded person that uh, it's a great pre-workout. Uh, it's great to consume during your workout for extra energy. And you know what? I don't work out that often, <laughs> but I, I drink a Celsius essential uh, every morning for breakfast, usually the orange sickle, uh, the blue crush on occasion. I love the cherry limeade too, because it's a great flavor that, that harkens me back to my days when I was having cherry limeades as a youth. So 
you want to try these new Celsius Essentials, where can you find them? Well, they've got some exclusive flavors at 7-Eleven and a Target, but you can also go to Celsius.com and click on their store locator and punch in your address and you're going to find all sorts of health and fitness stores, convenience stores, grocery stores, and some of the bigger chains that are going to carry Celsius. And maybe even at your bodega, you can grab a Celsius. And once you find the flavors you like, go to Amazon and buy them in bulk. Have them shipped right to your house. It's great. It's like it's like a holiday when the Amazon driver comes up with a package for you and it's nothing but awesome Celsius. So make sure that Celsius is powering your active life every day. Celsius, the official energy drink of Peter Report. So Nick, uh, we've talked about the trenches and and that's really where I think the Buccaneers need to do some work and, and knowing Jason Light, those are areas that are near and dear to his heart. He started off uh, playing offensive line, also played defensive line in college. So he's got that kind of, of trench mentality. Um, what are some other areas that that you think that this team needs to improve and get better to, to beat the Lions, to, to, to beat the 49ers? One of the things that stands out to me is just the weaponry that, that both of those teams have, right? Because, you know, and you know, I, I want to give Josh Reynolds a little slack because his last name is Reynolds, right? I mean, you can't knock him too much. But but Josh Reynolds, up until those key drops in the NFC Championship game, was a bit of a secret weapon, right, for for the, the Lions. Yet Amon Ross St. Brown leading the league in catches and, and yards. Um, they've got a two-headed monster now with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs can also catch the ball out of the backfield. Sam Laporta, a tight end the Buccaneers loved. Uh, really adds another dimension to work the middle of the field. Um, they, they've got a lot of different weapons that that can hurt you. And when you look at Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers really weren't the Buccaneers of the Super Bowl team until they got Antonio Brown. Then you put him with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski and either Ronald Jones uh, when he was was alive and kicking or or Leonard Fournette as he became playoff landing down the stretch. And Nick, I don't care how good your defense is. You might be able to take away, most teams can take away two guys, right? You can double up, you can bracket coverage. Some elite defenses can take away three guys. But when you have Antonio Brown and Gronk and Mike and Chris, you can't take away all four of those weapons. One of those guys, at least, if not two, are going to be isolated. You've got the best quarterback in the history of the game, best at making pre-snap reads, finding where he wants to go with the ball, find that mismatch before the play is even, before the ball is even snapped, right? And you got that offensive line to protect. That's what made the Buccaneers so good. Do they have enough weapons in the backfield at tight end? at wide receiver to get past the Lions, to dethrone the 49ers? I don't think so. Not, not at this moment. Now, you mentioned the 2020 team, and it, it's almost unfair to even try to compare it because that was such a unique situation, um, having the luxury to get a Gronk out of retirement and having the ability to go get an Antonio Brown, and we all know why that was. So we'll never see, we'll probably never see, like an, period, not even just in the Bucks, but I think another team, you'll probably never see a stacked of a skill group. Yeah. Truly, as that is, we talk about San Francisco skill group. 
that skill group was right up there with those guys. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to replicate that. Um, I actually think tight end is one of those positions, like it's starting to make a little bit of a comeback. Yeah. And especially with how important it is. Look at the final four team standing. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Sam Laporta. You could rate those guys however you want to. That's the four best tight ends in football right now. That's right. It's those four guys. And Kate Otten is, again, kind of how I feel like how Yaya is ideally a number two. Ideally, I would love Kate Otten as a number two. Yep. Right? Kind of how Cam Brate for years was so solid and dependable. But was he a number one tight end truly? Right. Not really. I think that's kind of where Kate Otten slots in. And, of course, Kate Otten's got to get better at blocking. I don't think he could be a number one with sort of the blocking prowess that he has at this moment. So that's another position that I'm definitely looking to upgrade. You know, you look at the draft, I think there's a lot of good talent, some guys you can get in like the fourth round, even fifth round, who I think are really good guys. I mean, I'll shout your Kansas State guy out because he killed you at UCF. It's Ben Sennett. I mean, he's a guy that I've definitely circled uh, and a couple other guys as well. But tight end, I think, is something they could stand to get. And then you mentioned the third receiver. I'm, I'm curious to see, because Chris Godwin, he's part of this conversation. He really hasn't been Chris Godwin. That's right? right. And Cohen said that he wants to put him back in the slot where he's been productive before. We all know there was a reason why he was taken out of the slot right. in the first place. So Which I'm is curious, the injury concern, the injury that yeah. he had. Right. And that's part of his game. And listen, I think Chris Godwin, even though he's 27, he's an older 27. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. In some respects, I think Mike almost looks fresher than him. I agree. As pushing 31. Um, So I'm curious to see how that goes. But again, I mean, I I keep talking a lot about the draft and going to it because I think this is where the Bucks are going to have to address most of these things. And it's a good thing. If you're looking for a receiver in this class, they're everywhere. Yeah, They are everywhere. We probably could have like seven or eight go in the first round. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe the Bucks shock everybody. I mean, last year we didn't have them taking Kalijah Kansi at 19. That's right. That was best player available on their board, and that worked out. And sometimes that's the best way to approach it. So maybe yeah. a receiver's the pick there. But even if it's not, there's so much talent through that draft and getting a third guy that you can depend on. And especially who knows what's going to happen with Mike. Even though they're probably going to get him signed, you never know when that dip starts to happen. That's right. And you've got to have that next guy waiting in the wings. Yeah. There will be a season when, when Mike Evans does not get a thousand yards. It's just, it's, it's going to happen. Maybe it happens, you know, in a couple of years from now, maybe it's, it's after right. His, his contract and they sign up to like a one-year deal and kind of keep that going. Like they did with Rondé Barber where he and Mark Dominic had this agreement. Like, well, if you want me back, and and I want to come back. We'll do another one year deal. It kind of got to be what we're going to see with Levante David, right? The ageless yeah. wonder a little bit where you're going to see Levante now. He's going to get another one year deal from Tampa. And then if he does well and continues to play at a high level, wants to play and they want him back, you'll see another one year deal. That's that's what I think will eventually happen with Mike is I think he probably gets a three year deal. They'll reevaluate it and see. But yeah, at some point in time, Mike is going to go from being Mike Evans to. Keyshawn Johnson, you know, a 700 yard possession, six foot four type receiver, right? Where he'll get touchdowns. He'll be good in the red zone. He's going to lose a little bit of that burst and speed. He's not going to be special anymore. He's just going to be really good. And, and that's, that's going to happen, but you've got that to consider. You've got the fact that maybe Chris is not going to get back to that level that he was prior yeah. to that knee injury with that explosiveness and that yak ability and all of that. Um, 
Plus, he's in a contract year, right? You're paying him $20 million a year right now. If you're if you're going to pay Mike $25 million per year, um, what's Chris's next contract going to look like, right? Yeah. And and so with those two guys and not having that clear number three guy, maybe it's Trey Palmer, maybe it's not, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Jason Light goes back to wide receiver in the first round like he did with his first right. overall pick, Mike Evans, and, and grab one of those top receivers at 26. And I'm, I'm curious what your take is. I don't know if you've spoken about this, but Chris Godwin, because of the fact he's in the contract year and he's already eating up a good amount of the cap and Mike's going to cut into that. Yeah. Is he maybe like the, like if there was going to be some surprise yeah. of the off season, is it Chris Godwin potentially getting moved? You think, and maybe they just decide to reset that now in the first round with all the talent. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I don't think it's going to happen just because you don't want to hamstring your head coach and your new offensive coordinator um, right. without without having a, another proven weapon. I think if Trey Palmer had put out a 650-yard season with five or six touchdowns, right, where he just shows he's ready for that next step, he just needs more targets, right, needs more reps, um, then I think you you're in position to do that. Right now, I think the offense takes a step back without Chris before it can take a step forward. And then you're, like I said, you're putting your team, your offense, your new, your new coordinator, all this in jeopardy. Uh, and not just that, if you're going to commit $30 million to Baker Mayfield or more, whatever that final number ends up being, uh, it's almost a disservice to, <laughs> to get rid of True. Chris Godwin, True. but there is logic in what you're saying, right? It, he does take up a huge amount of salary cap space. Uh, I don't know that this team wants to necessarily recommit to him for another 20 million or, or more um, if the production's not going to be there. And it's one thing to barely get over a thousand yards and get six or seven touchdowns. It's another thing to barely get over a thousand yards and have two touchdowns. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. I still think, you know, it's just one of my things that I see that if it really was going to come down to it and they were pinched and they were counting the pennies and everything, it's like, hey, Chris might be the surprise guy. But to your point, and especially the way Liam, and I know the, the pressers are always going to be coach speak and they're going to say great yeah. things about everybody. Um, but obviously he has a plan for how he wants to use Chris. Um, and maybe that's a guy we don't see much longer in Tampa Bay. This could be one and done for him, depending on how he looks yeah. in the slot this year. That's right. Yeah. And and I think too, this you mentioned a couple of those receivers, even if they don't grab one of those in the first round. Brendan Rice from USC had a great senior bowl week. I was very impressed. I've been a, a huge fan of Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, who reminds me a lot of Debo Samuel a lot over these last couple of years for the Hilltoppers. There's a lot of good receivers in this draft class, too. And and we've seen the Buccaneers even wait. And I don't think that Trey Palmer had necessarily a bad rookie season. It just wasn't great. And I, I don't think that he got enough targets sometimes because when the pecking order is Mike, then Chris, then you, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're not going to you're not going to be featured. And and uh, and rightly so when it's Mike and Chris ahead of you on there. So um, we've talked about some of the skill guys and, and needing more weapons, a tight end, probably another running back just in case something happens to Rashad. But on the defensive side. This has pretty much been a two linebacker type of team, right? It's been Devin and Levante since 2019. Those guys have been the, the man in the middle. We saw KJ Britt step up when Devin continued to have a very inconsistent and also injured contract year. He's not going to be back. 
But for a team that relies so much on those two linebackers to be the the heartbeat and the brains of Todd Bowles' defense, they've got to find another inside linebacker. Do you have confidence that K.J. Britt can be the guy, or does Servasier Dennis have to step up and, and maybe try to vie for that opportunity? I think he's better suited maybe as – as a weak side linebacker, what they call the Mo backer in Tampa, where the, or the money backer, whereas the Mike backer is that Devin White, KJ Britt role. What are your thoughts on finding Devin White's replacement? I think for right now, because of all the positions that we've covered of what they have to get, not that I'm trying to discredit the importance of the linebacker position, and we saw how that's paid dividends for them having those two guys when Devin was playing at his best. Yeah. Um, but it's not... It's just not near my top of the list right now because Levante, as long as he wants to keep coming back for one-year deals, and I don't see his athleticism, I don't see it going away. I thought he continued to get even better as the year went on, to be honest with you. I, he kind of reminds me of London Fletcher, if you remember. Yeah. He just played till he was like 39 or something. Yeah. And ironically, that's when all his Pro Bowls came, was like from age right. 35 to 39. That's who kind of Levante, without the Pro Bowls, of course, yeah. uh, because we know how that system works. He kind of reminds me of that kind of guy. So I think as long as you have him in place, and I think K.J. Britt, for the six, seven-game cameo that we got out of him last year, me personally, I thought he showed enough. Yeah. Okay? It's, it's not like, and I kind of said this about him and Devin White, the difference. It felt like Devin White was running around looking to make the play. Mm-hmm. And I thought K.J. Britt, to put it in simplest terms, was playing the position. Yeah. That's kind of how I equated it to. And sometimes I feel like that's all you need. You're yeah. not going to have a stud at every level, at every position. And K.J. Britt, to me, was just so, like, rock solid. And he was yeah. so good, I thought, in run support. Now, is that the guy I want to drop back in coverage necessarily? No. I think that's, that's easily, I think, where he has to pick his game up. And maybe they find somebody with more upside from that standpoint. But it's not something that I would address, I think, early in the draft. I think you probably, if you want to get another body in there, maybe that's like a veteran free agent you bring in for now. I mean, they, they kept Kevin Minter on this team for years. And that's he right. kind of played that veteran-type role. So maybe you bring somebody there to kind of be behind K.J. Britt as backup. And then, like you said, Servasier Dennis would play the role of Levante's backup. And, yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to be shadowing Levante David. That's it's right. It's just not. So I actually think because of what K.J. Britt did down the stretch – I think that position I'm okay with right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of veterans, uh, I've got one guy that I want you to really consider. If you're looking for a house to buy, or maybe you're looking to sell your house, Eric Gross and the Eric Gross Group. That's right. The official realtor of Pewter Report. It takes a team effort to win in football. It takes a team effort to win in real estate, too. It's not just Eric by himself. He's got his wife, Caitlin. He's got a team of literally thousands of vendors and agents, all part of the EXP Realty Group. So if you're coming out of state and you're moving into the great state of Florida, he can help you sell your home where you are, as well as find a home here in the area. Or let's say you're leaving the great state of Florida. Well, he can help you sell your house here and find your new home out of state. Or if you're moving around the great state of Florida, he knows the Tampa area like the back of his hand, but also the state of Florida because he is a Florida native. He and his team have got the market knowledge, the top-notch communication, and the commitment to excellent service, and that's what sets them apart. Their strong team of vendors and that network of over 85,000 agents. The Eric Gross Group will turn your dream of buying or selling a home into a reality. Their clients are not just transactions. They're lifelong friendships. So don't let the stress 
of buying or selling a home keep you out of the game. Let the Eric Gross Group take the pressure off. Find them on Facebook or Instagram at, at Eric Gross Group. You can also check out their website, Houses in FLA. That's housesinfla.com. Or give them a call at 513-907-4271. Again, the website, housesinfla.com. No matter where you are on your home ownership journey, you're going to feel welcome with the Eric Gross Group, the official realtor of Peter Report. Okay, so let me ask you this, uh, Nick. Let's talk about the NFC South. Do the Buccaneers, are they positions? Let's say that the what I call the, the Fab Five free agents, uh, Mike Evans, Baker Mayfield, Antoine Winfield Jr., Levante David, Chase McLaughlin. I think for the Buccaneers to have a chance of picking up where they, they left off, which is at the top of the NFC South again, for them to have that chance, those five guys have to return because they play such critical roles on this team. If all five of those return and Jason Light does this thing, picks up a couple of those value-free agents, has another good draft, do you see the Atlanta Falcons or the New Orleans Saints doing enough perhaps to unseat this team? Because it has come down to the wire yeah. with all three teams over the last two seasons. Yeah, it. I, I think this might be the year where you see a little bit of a separation. I'm not saying the Bucks are going to win 12 games or something like that, and Atlanta is going to win seven, not something like that. But I don't think it's going to come down to week 17 this, or week 18 this time around. Yeah. Um, I do think the Bucks have the inside track if they do all the things that you kind of said, and I think they're well-positioned to do that. New Orleans is the team that I kind of put to the side right now because I think their window has come and passed. Yeah. Um, I know that they're finally switching schemes for like the first time in like 15 years right. with Pete Carmichael. It's amazing yeah. that Pete Carmichael's been there that long. So he's, he's no got, longer there. He's got photos of somebody in there over there. I think. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we never knew the guy's name either, by the right. way, for until like the last That's two right. years. But because they're like, what, 90 million over the cap or something, and they have so many aging guys and uh, some who continue to run their mouth about the Buccaneers. Um, right. We don't need to name him, though. Um, so I almost put them to the side right now. Atlanta is, I think, the team that it's it's so trendy right now because you just see all these what you would call the star players, like a Bijan Robinson, a Drake London, uh, Kyle Pitts, if they can figure him out. And of yeah. course, Jesse Bates, who next to Winfield was the best safety in the NFC last year. Yeah. Um, so, but Atlanta, it's like, who's going to be the quarterback? And we That's still right. don't know the answer to that. What will make me pause a little bit, let's say Atlanta goes out there because, you know, Baker's the probably the second best or the first best free agent quarterback on the market. The next one is probably Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Kirk Cousins is also going to be 36. Yeah coming back off an Achilles injury. Mm -hmm. But the last time we saw Kirk Cousins, he was still a pretty good quarterback in the yeah. NFL, probably somewhere between that 10 to 15 range. So if Atlanta was to go and get a Kirk Cousins in this hypothetical scenario, and they have a new offense with a bright young mind like Zach Robinson and Raheem Morris getting a do-over that I think was mm -hmm. well-deserved this time around, then I start to look at Atlanta a little differently. But... Atlanta right now, let's, I mean, if they don't get a free agent quarterback and they have to address it in the draft, let's yeah. say they pick a guy at eight, whether that's a Michael Penix, whether they think highly of a J.J. McCarthy or yeah. a Bo Nix or one of those guys, then I think they're probably going to be still a year away. Right. And that's going to be the best news for the Bucks. So that's kind of where I'm at with them. And then, of course, Carolina, they're probably at least three, four years away from really hitting yeah. their window, I'd probably say. So right now, I do think the Bucks are well-positioned to – 
win this division for the fourth year in a row, which correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. If, I mean, when was the last time they did that? Did they even do that back in their heyday? Win it four years in a row? No, they didn't. I think the the biggest stretch of, of division titles for Tampa Bay, Gruden won three. That's the most by any head coach. And that was in 2002, 2005, and 2007. So even spaced out there. So yeah, that's that's certainly uh, different. Um, you know, speaking of, of a couple years away, you know, I'm, I'm more than a couple years away from retirement. I'm I'm probably two decades away from being retired. I love what I do. But if you're thinking about retirement or want to save some money for your kids, college funds and all that, there's one place to turn, and that's a Muni Financial. At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations. We're so happy Thank for you. you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. We can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead. Stay ahead. That's right. The folks at Retirement Central, that's what I call Immunity Financial because that's where I'm planning my retirement. Uh, they've got a special cybersecurity webinar, webinar that they want everybody to attend. Why? Because understanding the scope of cyber threats and learning about the increasing sophistication and prevalence of online scams, especially targeting seniors, is important. So this is a free webinar that Immuni is putting on. Anybody can join. It's February 22nd at noon Eastern time. All you have to do to, to sign up is give them a call at 1-800-868-6864. That's 1-800-868-6864. Or visit them on the web for more information at immuni.com backslash cyber. They're going to help you identify some common scams, getting insights into various scams like tech support and and romantic overtures and government and business scams, all sorts of ways for online predators to try to attack you via email um, and, and get you to uh, give up valuable personal information. They'll have a Q&A session and practical protection steps that's going to help you become even more aware of some of these scams and help you, again, cybersecurity webinar open for anybody Go to immunity.com backslash cyber. That date again is February 22nd at noon Eastern time. All right, so let's wrap it up, Nick. We've talked about this. We've talked about what the Buccaneers need. But the biggest question is when? How far are the Buccaneers away from not just winning the NFC South, but winning the NFC, getting back to the Super Bowl? What's going to be the, the, the time frame? Are they right on the, the the heels of the Lions and following a similar path? Or are they a couple of years away from beating Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, who they're going to play again in 2024? Well, I think their case is certainly helped out by the fact that for now, I think there's really only one what I would call elite quarterback in the, in the NFC, and I think that's Matt Stafford. I think the other guys are all really good quarterbacks. So it's not like the AFC where you just have a murderer's row of them with yeah. really good rosters tied. Um, I don't think next year is necessarily that year. I still think there are a few high-impact players away, and we talked a lot about how they have a lot of really you know solid players that they filtered in through the draft and finding 10 starters in two drafts. That's incredible, right? Yeah. But they've got to get 
and this is very hard to do, obviously. They've got to get, I think, more of the Werfs, Winfield-type draft picks to hit like that. Yeah. Like, hitting on a Rashad White is nice, but ideally you want to get to the next level, kind of how you saw Detroit did. I think yeah. they're kind of more on level with where Green Bay is right now. Mm-hmm. Green Bay being significantly younger and starting to phase out some of their old veterans. But I think they're kind of on that, and so I'm probably going to put a two-year window in the future on it. So what would that be? 2026 yep. is probably yep. where I'm looking at right now. I think they take I think they take more strides this year, win the division. That's my prediction right now. Right. I think 2025, they continue to do that, and ideally 2026 is where you want to be. Yep. I think you're right. I think 2025 would be the earliest if everything goes right, but 2026 I think is probably where the next Super Bowl window can open up. Really appreciate you having uh, having you join us today, Nick. You can follow Nick Geddes at Nick Geddes News on X. Um, he does great work for On3 Sports as well as the J.P. Peterson Show. We've got a, another great show lined up for tomorrow. The topic is, of course, it's Valentine's Day. What do you love about the Bucks? Matt Mater is going to be back in the saddle. I'm going to be gone for the next couple of days, but Matt's going to be back. So you can check that out. You can also check out our coverage on pewterreport.com where we've got some content every single day throughout the offseason, especially as we prepare for the NFL scouting combine in just a few weeks, free agency in the draft around the corner. You can follow us on social media on X, Facebook, and Instagram at Peter Report. And of course, we want you to subscribe to our YouTube page, Peter Report TV. Hit the like button, give us the thumbs up, leave a comment. All of that stuff helps our algorithm, helps us get in front of more pewter people like you guys. Really appreciate uh, all the support we get from our pewter people. So for Nick Geddes, I'm Scott Reynolds saying we'll see you next time on another edition of the Pewter Report podcast.